Good morning, everyone. You know, it's very interesting the way in which the Lord treated women. The way in which the Lord treated women was really the exact opposite of the society in which he lived and in particular the religious leaders because the attitude that the religious leaders had towards women was not very complimentary at all. It's very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ had a very, very, very high regard for women but not just for women, also the world of women. I said, well, hang on, how do you know that? Well, you look at the parables. It is quite surprising when you look at the parables how often the parables refer to women. The Lord refers to how women would put leaven into a loaf of bread or a woman sewing a new piece of cloth onto an old garment or women putting new wine into old wineskins or a woman sweeping out a house to find a coin or parables of weddings, ten bridesmaids for instance. Now, we go through the parables like that, but that's not usual. Men are normally not aware at all. Men wouldn't have a clue that you put leaven into a loaf of bread. Men wouldn't have a clue that a new piece of cloth on an old garment wouldn't work. Men wouldn't have a clue how many bridesmaids were at a wedding. They probably wouldn't even realise there were bridesmaids at a wedding. Now, now you wonder... How could a single man like the Lord Jesus Christ be so aware of the world of women? Part of the reason is because the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know full well, lived in a domestic situation with Mary for the first 30 years of his life. And he watched absolutely everything, very carefully watched what Mary was doing. That's going to become very important later on in his ministry. He observed Mary as she went about her work in the house. He observed her when she would go to the market so he would see what she would do with the bargaining and getting a nice piece of fruit. The issue is that was important because the Lord Jesus Christ very clearly understood but not only did he understand, he was also very comfortable in the world of women. I say, well, big deal, so what? Brothers and sisters, that is very important that was so because as we all know, the Lord Jesus Christ represents men but he also is the great representative of women. And the only way anyone can represent us is if he understands us. If you've got a lawyer who represents you in court, he obviously must understand you and your case. So therefore, if the Lord Jesus Christ is going to represent women, he had to understand them. But it goes further than that. The Lord did not just understand women. As we're going to see as our studies continue, he empathised with women. Now, what does empathise mean? Any idea? What's empathise? Does everyone understand my accent? To (laughs) empathise. Exactly. Putting yourself in the other person's place. And the only way the Lord would be able to do that with women is if he understood them. That's very powerful for our sisters because remember, he is our great high priest who is touched with the feelings of your infirmity. And he can only be touched if he understands your infirmity. You know, when you look at the Lord's relationship with women, his relationship and his lifestyle was so remarkable, as one writer says, it was astonishing. 
He treated women as fully equal to men. There is no word of deprecation about a woman that is ever found coming out of his lips. And we all know how as the Saviour, he managed to identify with people who were oppressed and disinherited, but he also identified with women and he talked with women and about women with complete freedom and candor. And I can guarantee the majority of us men cannot do that. Now let's have a look in Luke chapter 8. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble from the brethren after this, I can assure you. Why we are so nice to the women. Oh well, that's just the risk I'll have to take. I might go for a walk after this study and I'll be back on Saturday. Luke chapter 8 and at verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. So you say there is his close disciples. His close disciples are the twelve disciples. But verse 2, it's worth circling this word, and he's emphasising that he took with him on this preaching campaign the twelve disciples and the women. Mary Magdalene, verse 3, Joanna, Susanna and many others. So here we have his close disciples, the 12 disciples and the women. But then you read at the end of verse 3, oh hang on, the women ministered unto him of their substance. And it's worth noting in your margin, the word minister means to supply food and the necessities of life. So you think, hang on, no, 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 his 12 disciples were his close followers and the women were just there to look after him Make sure there's food, make sure there's a bed. And that's, that's understandable because it allowed the Lord to concentrate on his great work, as we mentioned in our first study, of saving men for the kingdom. And these women would all provide a different role. Some were more wealthy, they'd provide the money. Others would provide the food, others the bed. But is that all the Lord expected of women? With their aprons on? cooking and cleaning out there in the kitchen while the 12 disciples listened to what the Lord had to say for his special apostles? No, no, no. We're going to see later on the main thing the Lord required from the women was exactly what he required from the 12 disciples and that was to sit at his feet and to learn of him. We're going to prove what we're saying by looking at a few women in the record. The first one is the woman who touched the Lord's garment in Mark chapter 5 and at verse 24. Let's have a look at that. Mark 5 and at verse 24. We all know what Mark 5 is about. It's the incident of Jairus' daughter. We get up to verse 24 which says how... Many people followed Jairus and thronged him. It's a huge crowd. But then the scene switches to focus on this woman who is going to touch the garment of the Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about, in verse 25, a certain woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. Realise what the record is saying. This woman has been hemorrhaging very heavily for 12 years. And so therefore, up until this stage, it was absolutely impossible for her to come before the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Brothers and sisters, realise that this woman had a very personal, embarrassing, private grief. The law talked about this situation in Leviticus 15 verse 25 and the law is very specific. Every bed you lay on, every chair you sit on, whatever you touch will be unclean. Now can you imagine how that would affect her mental state? Everything I touch is unclean. It must mean I am unclean, unworthy. And then under the law she had to be put out of the camp as an outcast. And as usual, the rabbis would add their extra things to make life even harder. The rabbi says she must be divorced, forced out of the family home, not allowed to the temple or the synagogue. And it gets worse. Verse 26, she suffers many things of many physicians. The cures for this this particular problem were very drastic And the commentators say some were absolutely disgusting and degrading. The doctors didn't have a clue and their cures were just awful. Think of this woman. Back then they were incredibly modest. The great loss of dignity and the incredible cruelty just to go to one doctor. Sisters, how do you feel when your normal doctor is not there and you've got to go and see someone else? She had to see a whole lot of doctors. How bad is this disease? In verse 34, when she is healed, she is cured of the plague. That's an incredibly strong word. It's the same word used in Acts 22 and at verse 25 of the scourging of Paul. It gives us some idea how humiliating, how shameful, how painful this particular disease is. And it says in verse 26, she spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Can you picture what it was like for this poor woman? She's kicked out of the family home. She's been divorced. She won't see her children. She can't go near anyone. And now how is she going to survive? She has literally got no money at all. I think it's just like Jairus. The very last resort is the Lord Jesus Christ and in verse 27 she heard of Jesus. She could never see Jesus. She could never come in the public because she was worried people would say, you are unclean. But now she is desperate and with incredible determination it says she came in the press. Realise what that's saying. Probably for the first time in 12 years she's amongst people. You know, when you're isolated for some time and all of a sudden you're amongst people, it's overwhelming, it's bewildering. I remember a year ago I was in a health clinic, hard to believe now, for about three weeks, reasonably isolated. And I came out and went to an ecclesial combined weekend. There were hundreds of people there. And I remember I'd been away for only three weeks and there's all these people walking around. It was just overwhelming. Can you picture what it would have been like for this woman who for 12 years has been no one whatsoever and now she's in a huge crowd, all of them jostling and fighting, trying to get near the Lord Jesus Christ. She'd be looking around with eyes wide as saucers. It's just incredible. All all these people, young, old, middle-aged, with children, And in any crowd, their normal hopes and fears, joys and tears. And she felt so out of it. 
These people are free. They can come and go as they please. They can be part of this crowd. They can go to the synagogue. They can go to the temple. I can go nowhere. I can see no one. And what she does is fasten her eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and she plucks up the courage and stealthily has to fight and force her way through this crowd. Realise how difficult that was. For 12 years her vitality has been sapped and now she's got to fight her way through this crowd. She's weak, she's lightheaded. And notice what verse 28 says, if I can touch Buddy's clothes I'll be made whole. In the Greek it's over and over again. She's psyching herself up. Brothers and sisters, I believe she's almost at the point of death and she says over and over again, I'm about to fall but I've got to keep going. All I've got to do is touch his clothes and I'll be made whole. Just touch his clothes and I'll be made whole. And as she's fighting her way through the crowd, she can see that she's going to make it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank goodness. Just keep going. I've just got to touch him and I'll be made whole. But then by combining the other records, it appears that Jairus, right at the point when she could catch up with the Lord Jesus Christ, hurries the Lord along. It's going to be impossible, but no, she keeps on psyching herself up. If I can touch him, I'll be made whole. And she forces her wealth through. She hasn't got any more strength. And the Lord's past her, and with a sudden lunge, she just touches the hem of the garment. That's what the record says. She touched him from behind and just got the hem of his garment. As soon as she touches that hem, she feels this incredible power surging through her And instantly, the record says, she knew that she had been healed. There's this incredible ecstasy. She feels this vitality that she has not felt for 12 years. And she thinks, I've been healed. I can get away. But then total embarrassment as she realises that the Lord has stopped. And horrified, she hears the Lord say, Who touched my clothes? Brothers and sisters, particularly the brethren, if you were in this situation, you'd think, great, I've healed this woman. I'm not quite sure what her problem is, but I know it's embarrassing. Let's get on with it. But the Lord stops. Why? Because he was comfortable in the world of women. Now, Peter says... Lord, you've got to be joking. There's thousands of people around you. Everyone's touching you. And you say, who touched me? Verse 32, literally, the Lord is looking at her and he stops. And the woman is rooted to the spot. The Lord knew, verse 30 tells us, that virtue or power had flown out of him. And Luke adds, the woman knew that she was not hid. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are boring in on her and she cringes. And in verse 33 it says, the woman is fearing and trembling. Why? Because it's all going to come out in public? No, no, no. She's absolutely terrified because of the enormous power the Lord had. Her great fear was the fear of God. She is fearing and trembling as verse 33 says, knowing what was done in her, knowing the incredible power the Lord had to heal her like that. And she came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. This was this woman's worst nightmare. 
to publicly acknowledge a humiliating disease. She's able to do it here. Why? Because she now has the fear and she's going to develop the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 34, look what it says. And he said unto her, Daughter, realise what that's saying. We can pass over it. But this is the only woman who the Lord calls daughter. Now why? Why does my wife call her daughter daughter? And the answer is, she is your daughter because she has been given life because she has come from your body first of all and then she is kept alive because she fed her milk that came from your body. And because of that, a mother and daughter have an incredibly close relationship. The same has occurred here. Like Jairus' daughter, this woman is about to die. She's as good as dead. And she has been given life by power coming from the Lord's body. And the relationship is even stronger because this woman has felt within herself a bodily relationship, a bodily feeling, a bodily reaction. And now because of that, there's an incredibly close relationship between the woman and the Lord. I'm emphasising that the Lord's relationship with women is just as close, if even closer, than the male disciples. There's more to it than that. The Lord had some very, very close male disciples, but there is no other male disciple that he uses the equivalent term and calls him my son. Why does the Lord have one of his closest relationships with this woman? Because of her unbelievable faith. This woman, I believe, was as sick as Jairus' daughter. She's got off her deathbed. That's really what the record is saying. Can you keep going like this, losing blood for 12 years in the days of, of, of where they didn't have blood transfusions? What got her off her deathbed was her incredible faith. Jairus' daughter had dad and mum to help her out. This woman had incredible faith, but even more amazingly, she did it on her own. Where was her jolly husband? Where were her kids? She had to do it by herself. All right, the next group is in Luke chapter 10. And you think, here we go again, the old Mary and Martha story yet again. You're going to get the Australian version. That's a real worry, isn't it? Luke chapter 10 and at verse 38. It came to pass that as they went, he entered into a certain village. Now, we're basically four months to go before the crucifixion and we all know very clearly he goes to the house of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. You know, it's surprising how often 
when we look at this incident, we fail to see exactly what the Lord is saying. And sometimes you hear exposition where people say, well, basically, you're either a spiritual contemplative Mary or you are a practical Martha. It's as if you can divide the service of the Lord Jesus Christ into two different categories. And depending on your point of view, you side either with Mary or with Martha. And you say, well, I'm a contemplative spiritual sort of person, so therefore I don't really help practically. Or I'm a practical person, so therefore I neglect contemplative sort of things. Both of those are very, very inaccurate. And we're going to see what the Lord was really trying to say. Verse 38, And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Simply means they welcomed the Lord Jesus Christ as a guest. And to them, the Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest guest you could ever have. And you can imagine, if the Lord came to your house, you'd make sure you could give him the very best meal possible. And that's exactly what Martha does. She's very busy in the kitchen preparing a fantastic meal. But she was helped at first by Mary. So if you think Mary is a contemplative, do-nothing sort of person, you are wrong. Mary had helped her until the Lord arrived. We know that from verse 40. It says specifically, my sister, my sister Mary has left me. So obviously at the beginning she pitched in and helped. And then once the Lord arrived, Martha stayed in the kitchen and Mary served. Now how do I know that? Well, there's two words used of serving in verse 40. The first one in verse 40, and it's worth noting this in your margin, Martha was cumbered about with much service. And that word, service, according to Thayer, means the service of those who prepare and present the food. She's the chef. And then Mary was supposed to serve. That's the second word used in verse 40. My sister has left me to serve alone. And the second word for serve in verse 40 means to wait at the table and to offer food and drink to the guest. She's the waitress. Pretty simple. Like all sisters, they work out what they're going to do beforehand. And Martha says, well, look, I'll stay in the kitchen and cook. Can you serve the food as the waitress? Fine, no problem at all. So verse 40, Martha is cumbered about with much serving and cooking in the kitchen and she comes to him and says, Lord, do you not care that Mary hath left me to serve at the tables as well? She was supposed to help, but now I've got to do two jobs. That's the meaning of verse 40. But it says that Mary has left me. And literally that means she keeps on leaving. So they have the first course, she goes out and serves that. She listens to the Lord for a while, comes back in, brings the second course out, listens to it for a while, comes back in, takes out the third course. But as the Lord continued his exposition, what he was saying was so fascinating to Mary, in the end she stayed and sat, in verse 39, at Jesus' feet. Now, what's the significance of someone sitting at someone's feet? Any ideas on that? I've been talking too long and everyone's going to sleep. Yes? That's Gamaliel, isn't it? (laughs) I'm only stirring. (laughs) Now, why did Paul sit at Gamaliel's feet? Who would sit at the rabbi's feet? The most promising student. 
Who is at the Lord's feet? Mary, because I believe the Lord regarded her as his most promising student. And we're going to see the Lord was justified in his belief. Now, to the rabbis, it was unheard of to teach a woman. As we said before, they had a very bad opinion of woman and they said it was basically a waste of time to teach a woman. You might as well teach a Samaritan before a woman. But notice the attitude of the Lord. He has no problem with Mary sitting right at his feet because again, as we've been emphasising, he wanted everyone, male and female, to hear what he had to say and he wanted women to hear what he particularly had to say to his special disciples. Remember we're in the last six months of his ministry and he's focusing on his special disciples which were the men and the women. Now what's going on in the kitchen? Well, you can picture, sisters, what's going on, all right. Poor old Martha's working flat out, making dish after dish after dish and the server's just filled with all this food. Where's Mary? I can't fit any more food on the bench. Why isn't she taking the food out? And she looks around the corner of the kitchen. Oh, she's sitting listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. She started to get a little bit resentful. And as all sisters would do, I'm working alone, she's doing nothing. She would start to make a little bit of extra noise, rattling and banging the saucepan, bang on the stove. And then with a red face, turn around and give her sister the death stare. What are you doing? And she doesn't even notice the death stare and there's nothing worse to give your very best death stare and to be ignored, not even noticed. Bang, bash, death stare, bang, bash, death stare. On it goes and she's still listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the end, the resentment grew to something that sounded very much like anger. She can't stop herself. And later on, she would be so embarrassed to realise she has interrupted the Lord's exposition. And at first, she's very reverent in verse 40. Lord, Lord. And then she gets out of control. Don't you care that my sister has left me alone? It's quite unlike her. What's her problem? Verse 40, she's cumbered about with much serving. That word cumbered is very powerful. It means to be drawn in different ways at the same time. And when I read that particular exposition of the word, I killed myself laughing. Why? Because occasionally, very rarely, I actually do catering at our ecclesia, which is the biggest joke because I wouldn't have a clue how to cook. And what happens is when I've got 100 people and the thing is total chaos, I do exactly what Martha was doing. I am so stressed, I just don't know what to do next. And I'm all over the shop. And that's exactly what Martha is doing. She is cumbered about with much business. Verse 41, the Lord says, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. You know, it's very, very important to realise the Lord would not have said anything if she hadn't criticised Mary. If Martha wanted to stay in the kitchen and keep on cooking, that's fine. The Lord only came in on it when Martha demanded that Mary should help her and he couldn't demand that Mary would go back and listen, sorry, would go back into the kitchen because she has chosen the better part. She's chosen to do spiritual things. And the Lord knew that Martha was trying her best. Verse 41, you are very careful and troubled about many things. Literally it means 
many courses. You're careful, you're anxious, and you're troubled, you're disturbed in mind, and the Lord is very understanding. I think he was incredibly gentle to this sister. Her motive is good, but the Lord says it's not necessary to to provide so many things. Don't misunderstand what the Lord is saying. He very much appreciated little things to show your love. The Lord emphasised that. That's a wonderful thing, that a sister does these little things to show your love for me. But in all this activity, Martha, you forgot who I am. I have not come to be ministered to, but to minister. And in verse 41 and verse 42, you've been so worried about many courses, but really there is only one course that is necessary. There's only one course that is a necessity at this meal. And verse 42, Mary has deliberately chosen the good part. She's chosen the best course. The best dish that's going to be presented at this meal are my words. And she hasn't done it because she's selfish or lazy or because she's an intellectual. No, no. She's chosen to listen to me because that's what is best. And as verse 42 goes on to say, what she's heard from my mouth today won't be taken away from her because sitting at my feet will prepare her for life forever. Martha, really what you ought to do is just get out of the kitchen and sit at my feet as well. You know, this is vital for brothers and sisters to sit at the feet of the Lord because when you're at the feet of the Lord, two things will happen. Number one, you are listening to him and number two, you are getting close to him. And tragically, by dividing disciples into Mary's and Martha's, we don't do either woman justice. If you think that Martha is just a practical woman with no spirituality, you are mistaken because in John chapter 12, Martha makes one of the most profound statements any disciple, either male or female, has ever made. We're missing the importance of what the Lord is saying and the Lord is saying, yes, it's true. He wants us to come into the truth and serve in whatever way we can. But if you want to serve the Lord and you want to serve him with the right spirit, you have to spend time at his feet. Because when you spend time at his feet, you'll see what he requires and you see the attitude he wants for right service. And then when you spend time sitting at his feet, you'll stand up and you'll realise what his spirit is, what his attitude is, what his joy is, what his love is. And then when you stand up, you are confident that you will be able to do whatever you can for him. It's a very, very important principle. And I am emphasising it's not just brethren, but our sisters must get in to a deep contemplation of the word of God. The Lord wants all of us to sit at his feet. Brothers and sisters, this principle is incredibly powerful. In ecclesial life, what can happen is you can energetically run all around the ecclesia with gritted teeth saying, I've got to do this work for my God. 
If you've got that attitude, I've got to do the work for my God, inevitably you're going to grow tired and you're going to get angry with your brethren. We need to learn what the Lord Jesus Christ told Martha. That is, service in the truth is not something that you inspire yourself to do. You've got to be taught by the Lord so you can work in the ecclesia with the right spirit. Again, as far as our sisters are concerned, home life is a place where you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And think, oh no. It just seems to be this endless cycle of washing and ironing and cooking and cleaning and you come to Monday and all the laundry's done and you walk in on Monday and there's a mountain in the laundry. It just never seems to be done. But sisters, quite often the work can be excessive and overwhelming because we're overdoing it. The meals have to be overly good. The house has to be absolutely spotless. Everything has to be perfect. And what happens when we get into this spiral is we're overdoing it. And we start to get anxious and we start to get trouble and we get it all out of perspective. And the Lord says in the middle of all that activity, just stop. And perhaps the husbands may have to help so that she can stop. I wish my wife wasn't here today, but that's another story. Why? Because part of your day has to be spent at the feet of the Lord. Part of your day must be spent in prayer, getting close to your Lord. Part of your day has to be spent reading and thinking about the Lord, listening to him. The Lord's saying, please, please do this every day. Why? To make our day difficult? No, no. He guarantees you that if you do this and spend time and take time out to sit at his feet, your day will be better. You'll be in a better frame of mind. You'll be less anxious and troubled and the things that you are really hassled about before you sat at his feet, after you spent time with him, you think, hey, does it really matter? And for the brethren, as far as our work life is concerned, I have this problem. Sometimes you can be consumed by your job or your business. I've got to get this job done. If I don't perform, I'll lose my job. And what happens is our anxiety and our stress increases. And the Lord says, brethren, just stop. He says, no, 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 I'm too busy. I've got that much to do. No, he says, stop. No, 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 there's too much on my plate. He says, stop. Sit at my feet. Talk to me. Get close to me. Listen to me. And I guarantee when you get up, your day will be better. You'll see things in perspective. And the things that you were hassled about, you say, does it really matter? Was it really all that important? You know, don't be too hard on poor old Martha. Don't assume that Martha chose a bad part. It's a very good thing what Martha was trying to do. She was trying to give the Lord her best. She was trying to do what she could for the Lord. And we can be sure that the Lord really appreciated everything that Martha did for him. But when the Lord was challenged, he had to say, in actual fact, that the thing that gives me the greatest pleasure is sisters 
sitting at my feet. You know, the story finishes beautifully in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. John 12 and at verse 1, six days before the Passover, the Lord again comes to this beautiful house where Lazarus was who had been raised from the dead. Verse 2, there they made him a supper. Who's the they here? I've got plenty of time. Once again, the Australian has not gone overtime. I noticed Mark again went three minutes overtime. I'm glad the chairman's picking him up. 10.03. <laughs> Who are the they that made him a supper? Exactly. Oh, is that one of those questions that was so obvious that I'm insulting you by asking the question? Sorry, I apologise. I thought it was a difficult question, but again, I'm blonde. The issue is... The issue is is that both of these sisters have learned from what the Lord says and Mary and Martha are cooperating together. Both of them are working. Mary is very much part of helping. Sitting at the Lord's feet doesn't mean you don't pitch in and help when it's needed. But notice they've been very careful this time that the meal is ready before the Lord turns up. And it's probably not as elaborate. But notice what it says. And Martha served. And that word means to wait at the table and offer food and drink to the guests. She doesn't want to be stuck out in the kitchen. She realises what the Lord has said. She wants to make sure she's serving the food because she knows she can help out practically and listen to the Lord at the same time. And she has no problem whatsoever that Mary, you can be guaranteed, is sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ as his most promising disciple. And why do I say that? Because in verse 7, let her alone against the day of my bearing has she done that. The only person who clearly knew the Lord was going to be crucified was a sister who made sure she sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Six days later, they took the Lord and they killed him. And again, it's the women who shone at that particular time. The women are great in a crisis. Why do I say that? The men ran away and the women stayed. The Lord was then resurrected. And who did he appear to, first of all? His dearest and his most loved friends, the women. You know, to summarise, brothers and sisters, there is not one instance in the entire Gospel record where a woman was ever hostile to the Lord. 
I wish I could say the same for the men. The Lord throughout the Gospels over that three and a half year period associated freely with and presented his message to men and to women equally. And he chose women as well as men to be his special, special, dearly beloved friends. And he graciously accepted their little acts of kindness and he appreciated everything they did for him as a wonderful thing. He demonstrated that he wanted to associate with men and women on a high spiritual plane. And the great challenge for our sisters is to make sure you are doing what the sisters of old used to do and spend time at the Lord Jesus Christ's feet. Why? Because the Lord is the great champion and the great leader, not just of men, but also of women.